0: Word of advice, if you go into a marijuana dispensary and you ask if they can sell you shrooms or if they have a hookup for shrooms, do not be dressed like an undercover cop. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective arm on world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. Just rush right out the gate with it. <laughs> it is August 15th. Got a pretty good show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to talk about the importance of being alone. In Infernal Informant, this was sent to me by one of you listeners. Thank you so much. I didn't reply to you and say thank you, but I do mean it. Sorry. I was just trying to throw things together um, as quickly as possible today. And uh, in the creature feature, five lessons I learned from my father. Yeah. The problem with parents is that they're human. You know? All right. Well, before we get into all that, how you doing, Horatio? Thanks for joining live, Uh, Jason. What's happening? Mike, how you doing, man? Uh, What's up, Daniel? Christina, how are you? That is a hell of a name you got there. Uh, Lexi, what's happening? James, my man. My man, I just found out that he was born. Uh, what's up, Preston? How you doing, Gary? What up, Stephanie? I need to reply to your text, but I haven't had a chance. But I will. I promise. promise. had a book club I had to get to. Um, that being said, we just finished up the book club uh, for We Are Satanists. And best case scenario in a book club is you talk about the book. <laughs> Usually it's just drinking wine and talking shit about your neighbor. Like that's in my head, that's what a book club is, it's just a bunch of old biddies sitting around talking smack. So what I what I try to do is have like a little bit of a narrative but kind of go off on tangents and stuff and ultimately glean a little bit not just from the material but about the other people that I'm speaking to as well, you know? Like the the joy of talking about satanism is that you have and engagement and interaction with it, right? That you get some back and forth. That's why I love doing the live show. That's why I love doing those book clubs is because you get to hear from other Satanists and how they perceive things. And I promise you, sometimes it's very different than the way you perceive them. And there's something kind of cool about that. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. What's up, William? How you doing, man? That being said, my stomping grounds are burning. Like, we just had this fire... First of all, we've all across the entire United States have been suffering from the massive fires in California. Um, But if you have asthma and allergies like I do, it's debilitating. (laughs) Like you can't go outside. We just had the huge fire in Parleys Canyon, which is a canyon just right outside my house here. I can't open the windows to my house because of the air quality is so bad. Uh, It's it's just so horrible that if I don't want to be all itchy and like scratchy throat and itchy eyes and stuff, I just have to live in this bubble. Like I'm a bubble boy. Like that's what we have turned me into as a society (laughs) because, because we've fucked our society, our, our, our nature up so badly. And we just, with wild, reckless abandon, throw cigarettes out windows and don't put out our campfires that fires, or we we're lighting off fireworks when we're not supposed to. That we just start these crazy fires everywhere. Or we're doing baby reveals. You mother... Burning down... People's homes, ultimately, is what it means. Because you want to do a special baby reveal. Because, like, shitting out a kid is special and needs to be heralded with fucking news. And trumpets. Give me a break. People suck. Yeah, it's just so bad. I can't even. I can't even open. I. I can't get fresh air, because it doesn't exist anymore. Like that's the world we live in right now. It sucks so bad. Every morning I wake up, and right before I work out, and I'm looking at the air quality to see if I can open windows, or go running outside. But no, no, I can't. Doggone it. Okay. Um, it sucks. I want to talk a little bit about Man Camp, because. I had a really good time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, We we went to the Stanley Hotel because I love this. I'm obsessed with The Shining. And it's kind of like going anywhere as an adult that you went as a kid and thought it was huge and amazing. And it's kind of like an itty-bitty version of itself. It's not as grand as it used to be, you know? Like I used to get ice cream cones from this one local ice cream cone joint. It was like a burger, like mom and pop burger joint, little drive-through. When I was a kid, went back and as an adult, and it's just like a tiny little ice cream cone. But in my memory as a kid, it was like teetering on falling over because it was so much ice cream. And you got to factor in, okay, maybe they downsize a little bit for age, but it's just like everything's so much smaller because you're grown up and you have perspective. The Stanley hotel is like, it's like a, it's like a Lego model of what the Stanley hotel should look like. It's like people put it, it's so small that if Jack Torrance was chasing you through it in like a two second time span, you'd be dead. Like, it's a tiny, tiny hotel. You cannot ride a big wheel around that hotel without hitting a wall, turning around, getting back on the big wheel, and then riding back the other way. It's literally like, like a U-shape. There's no connecting anything. There's no grand foyer. There's no... The maze? The maze in the front of the Stanley Hotel? Nipple high. Nipple high. And I don't know about you guys, but my nipples are down here. <laughs> so I'm looking over and through the hedge maze that they grew. And I get it's not going to be like the movie because it's not the movie. But it's a pilgrimage part. Like it's a location that people travel to in order to celebrate that film. And what they put up as a sort of homage to the film is so sad. It is is depressingly sad. I mean, you can literally just walk through the hedge right to the, the middle of it and then walk right out through the actual hedges. I didn't see one frozen dead person. Not one. <laughs> I wanted to see dead people. All right, so aside from The Shining, it's purported to be haunted in tons of different places. And so I went out of my way to reserve the haunted suite that Stephen King stays in when he would uh, when he wrote the the story, when he got the dreams to to come up with it, right? So they're telling me that that's the suite we got. And believe me, I fucking paid for it. I didn't see one ghost. <laughs> I mean, of course, I didn't see a ghost, but I would have someone jump out of a closet. you know, I'm paying so much. Give me a Latin maid that just stumbles out by accident, scaring me. Into like a girl scream, like ah, and then I feel like I've, 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 you know, I've earned the the night. Give me something, anything. That being said, there were two moments that are unexplained that occurred, that I, I can't explain. I honestly don't know how, why, what. But here's what happened. We first got into the room, and it was me and two of my friends, and one of them was like. Um, right next to the closet, and he he said uh, it was something along the lines of, if there's anyone in here, let us know. Something like that, right? And then, like, stuff that was at the top of the shelf, right next to him, immediately plummeted to the ground. Like, right then. So it was a really cool little moment. I was just going like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, fuck. We're gonna get screwed. Like we're gonna get we're gonna get screwed by ghosts, like Dan Aykroyd and Ghostbusters, which ain't a bad thing. But still, we found out later that our room was supposed to be haunted by Ghost Cowboy, so it would have been like this weird anal rape situation. But it's a ghost, so I, I'd give him a pass. I'd give him an anal rape ghost pass. Okay, so that was the one. The second one. And I know it wasn't just me because of how it happened. But to be fair, the stuff that's legal there, I was out of my mind with. So I wasn't 100% there. But I was there physically. And and we were just sitting there waiting. We went up to the hotel room after. We we went on like a nine-mile fucking hike. So we were exhausted. And then we had um, dinner reservations and then we had a ghost tour after that. And so we were sitting there after the hike, burned out, waiting for our dinner reservation to come up. And uh, just I was just laying just totally out of my mind on the, on the bed. And as if a quarterback charged our door and slammed into it, right, like really loud bang on our door, everyone startled. We we're just like, what the hell was that? And then the buddy um, that was right next to me got up immediately Opened the door, nothing was there. Not someone run away giggling, not a sound, no one else in the hallway at all. Kind of weird. Could have been air pressure. It could have been a lot of things. All I know is it was a little freaky. (laughs) A little freaky. But I didn't see any ghosts. And I know because I was up all night because the two guys that I was with snored like fucking crazy. No sleep for Adam. entire weekend. Not that I'm complaining. It was still a good time, eh? All right. What are you guys doing? What are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about Virginia? What? How you doing, Freeth? Um I did not go to the 217 room, but I'll tell you what. They are capitalizing on the shining in that hotel. Like to to such an degree that it's obscene. Because it's nothing like the actual hotel that it's supposed to be. It's not as scary or you know like imposing or large or anything. It's got four floors, so it's not like it's a, a tiny little one, a, a motel or anything. But I was expecting something grand, and I did not get anything grand at all. I was bummed. I will never go back. Like that's, I was bummed. The time I had was awesome. The people I was with were great. And the laughs that we had were amazing. I think we scared everyone in the hotel. But, yeah. It was just like, fuck, dude. Garbage. Just a big pile of garbage. Oh, and here's the other thing. Rocky Mountains. I live at the base of the Wasatch Mountain Range. And so when I think of going into the Rocky Mountains, I'm going to be like running away from bears and cougars, right? Right? I saw more moose in my canyon than I did 9 miles climbing over those rocky mountains in Colorado. So you Colorado people with your airs your your nose up in the air because you're you're your Rocky Mountain high bullshit. You want to see life? You want to see like animal life come to my house? I will show you. You're not going to see it up there. It is it's depressing. And then, like, one of the hikes we wanted to go in, you had to – there was someone that came on the trail that we ended up going on. Um, and they said they they got up early at 4.30 in the morning to go to the trailhead for this hike that they are going to do in the Rocky Mountains, right? Bear Lake Trailhead. And at 4.30 in the morning, the trailhead was already completely – Parked out. There was nowhere for them to park. Even if they parked a mile down the road, on the side of the road, it was still all lined cars all the way out there. Total waste of time. Like, if it wasn't for the people I was with, I would have thought that this weekend was a total waste. Like, bupkis. Just just worthless. But the people made it. (laughs) The people that made it, made it. I started out with two rooms and six men and ended up with two other guys <laughs> like that's what i don't understand how this happens but it happened it was like everyone's just like ball to the wall we're gonna go at man camp yeah it's gonna be awesome get in the wilderness Wah! and then it came down to was like oh i can't go all right well you know what i i made the fucking reservations so fuck you know fuck me i guess I guess I know who I'm going to invite next time and who I'm not going to invite. Motherfucker. Yeah. All right. What are you guys saying? As long as it isn't fudge pops with Ghost Dad screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron, what up, man? Okay. Yeah, I know there's some wildlife there, but it's all in your hubby's pants. Ah, just kidding. That was dumb. Sorry. What's up, Mr. Victor Wicked? Did I say your name? I don't know what I just said. Hey, Victor Wicked, how are you? Good to see you, man. Um, Let's do a little devil's advocate. That's enough of my man camp. Let's talk this. All right, you know what? I take it back. I want to talk about the ghost tour really quick because I just saw Stephanie's comment about something touching her back on the ghost tour. I don't know if we added to the ghost tour experience, but between the three of the guys that were there, we, I felt like hijacked the ghost tour experience with our snide comments and our jokey jokes. One of them was way high, or maybe not way high, but certainly high. Um, And the other ones of us were just like, just trying to enjoy the experience. And we were like every, every, Every moment of air between the weird tour guide, like a crazy lady, weird tour guide, between every break of sentence, we were just like jumping in like it was double Dutch or something. And we just wanted to, you know, jump in with our comments. That looked a little monkey, (laughs) what I just did. That's not how it was. Uh, We were just talking shit the whole time. And I can't help but think we ruined it for a lot of people. But then some people seemed like they were enjoying our comments. And so we just sort of kept going with it. I kind of feel bad, though. I kind of feel like we we ruined the experience for some people. They were just like, I really want a serious ghost tour. And we're just busting balls the whole time. Like, I don't feel like it's all our fault, though. Because the lady pulled out two of those, like, like sticks that are, like, on a swivel, right? That, I guess, are, like, a phone for a ghost. Because she kept asking ghosts... If you're here, cross the sticks. And then nothing. And in my head, I'm like, you should be crossing them yourself to make us think that there's a ghost here so that everyone gets what they paid for feeling a ghost's presence. But instead, she didn't fake anything. It was just like, um, if uh, if Samuel's in the room, uh, cross the sticks. Um, Annie? John Boy? Like, she just named random names. Nothing happened. And then she was like, I have candy. If if you, uh, if you show that you're here, we'll give everyone a piece of candy. Now, this is the point in the tour where I'm like, I'm getting a piece of chocolate. Like, she's clearly gonna fake a ghost talk so I can get some chocolate because she brought up candy. Now, why would she bring up candy if she was not going to hand out said candy? Bitch didn't give one piece of candy not one she she let the ghost snub us what kind of tour is this you bring up something and you don't give it out what and then she passed around her little divining rods and there's like a little ball at the bottom that if you used your pinky you could twist to make them cross so either she was fucking with us the whole time or she's a fuck up In either case, it was a total waste of our time. And then we're on a ghost tour, right? Purportedly, everyone believes in ghosts that's on a ghost tour. I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in things I can't explain because I've experienced them. Uh, She starts showing around images on her phone and then immediately explains them away as if this was a Penn and Teller concert explaining how they did their magic tricks. I don't want you to tell me the ghost shit is fake. I know the ghost shit is fake. I want you to lean into the ghost stuff so that I start questioning, fuck, is it fake? I don't know. Don't tell me it's fake. I already know that. And give me the goddamn chocolate. Fuck. I would have I would have settled for a skittle. A skittle. The shit candy of Al candy. I would have took a sweet tart. Yeah. Like a junkie. I would've ate the shit out of that sweet tart. I didn't get anything. (laughs) Oh, man. it's so funny. And then we just scared everyone else because we were just like, hey, we're drunk and high. Let's go downstairs and just hang out in the lobby like a bunch of three fucking weirdos. (laughs) Oh, dude. Cameron, I'm sorry. I'm going to tell this story. (laughs) I know. Give me a fucking sucker or something. All right, so... (laughs) So... Of all conversations to, to end up happening, somehow we got on the, the topic of someone in a wheelchair, right? And Cameron just pulls out this diatribe (laughs) a negative diatribe about people in wheelchairs or something like that. I can't remember exactly because time and, and, and substance, but he was talking shit about people in, in, in wheelchairs. And this amputee, double amputee in a wheelchair is right behind him the whole time. And Joe and I are like, dude, dude, we're like, okay, well, you know, anyway. And and he's like, no, I want to talk about this longer. (laughs) Had no idea the dude was right behind him. Dude didn't say anything. And then when I get up to leave because I just can't take anymore, like, I don't want to be associated with this guy. (laughs) He turns around and sees the fucking like, double amputee and just like turns white. He, he turned to white man in like a second coming out of that room. It was hilarious. Hilarious. All right. Yeah. We were talking about Chase. <laughs> it was really funny. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he had to be there, but it was hilarious. It made the entire trip worthwhile to see him talk shit about a double amputee right literally behind his back. <laughs> so good the dude didn't say anything either and i'm in my head i'm thinking he's a vietnam war vet this dude suffered he watched his brothers die and now some fucking kid is gonna talk shit right in front of him (laughs) oh good times all right now the devil's advocate He thought he was making good points. <laughs> God, such a good time with these people. I'll tell you what. All right. The importance of being alone. So I, I enjoy being around my family. I desperately love my family. They're, they're great. They're my family. I love being around my friends. They're fucking fantastic. But I like to be around myself just by myself. It provides me an opportunity to reflect to consider, to question um, behaviors, motivations, life decisions, goals, you know. Um, it just helps me stay grounded with who I am. Uh, when you're in a crew with your friends or when you're in a relationship, you tend to sort of adopt those other people's traits, or you fall in line with the way that they see things, or at the very minimum, you placate them if you disagree with them. Usually because you care about them, but the the fact is is that you're not 100% you, you're now this weird hybrid of you and them. And in the worst case situation, you actually start adopting their ideas as your own, thereby losing your sense of individuality entirely. And so I find it incredibly important at the risk of losing oneself to force yourself to spend time with yourself. You may find that you don't like yourself. And this is a really important point for those of you who, and I think we all have made decisions in our lives that we regret or we don't like, or we don't like how we acted in a certain situation. And so it's, it's a little bit cathartic, I think, to face those moments of shame or embarrassment or bad decision-making. And think about how you could have done it differently so that you wouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, If you don't like who you are, the only way to realize how to change is to spend time with that person that you are. Look at the ugliness within yourself in order to understand it and then correct it if that's what you want to do. Right? Um... I I honestly believe you have to have error around yourself so that you can truly understand who you are. Uh, What's important to you is based on where you are in your head. You know, a lot of us make decisions because of the situation we find ourselves in in our lives, right? So professionally, I make decisions based on my family and my need to support them. If I didn't have that element of my life, I would probably make dramatically different professional decisions. Um, you know, it would be much more flippant and, and I would have a a more of a sense of freedom than needing to go and do what I do for a living, um, in the places that I go and do it. Um, but the truth is, is you need to focus on yourself and your own happiness from time to time. Uh, too often, I think anecdotally we, we sacrifice our own happiness for the sake of someone else. And in some cases that's justifiable to the individual, right? But not in every case. And there's a reason why when you're going down on a plane and the oxygen masks drop, it says to put yours on before you help someone else. And the the basis behind that is, is you cannot help anyone else. You cannot be a benefit to anyone else, whether it's friends or family or loved ones or anything, if you are not content with who you are. If you are not solid in the foundation of you, you have to understand who and what you are and be okay with that to then be a positive influence or a positive aspect in a relationship, right? No matter the type of relationship. Um, it's it's the, the idea that you you have to have a sense of who you are and contentment in your own skin in order to be of any benefit to anyone else. And that's not to say you have to be a benefit to someone else, you don't at all. But in general, the people that I've met in life the the ones that they choose to love, they want to be a positive influence on, or at least a positive part of that relationship. You know, they don't want to be a drag or a drain or a vampire. Um, and so, this idea of being alone from time to time, it's all well and good to say, but we live in a digital world, baby. If you being alone is you checking your phone and checking in with your social media accounts or seeing what other people are doing or saying or what other celebrities are doing or saying or checking in world news, then you're not really alone. You're, you're now with those other virtual bodies. You're now caring about what they think, how they're engaging, what they're doing and not you, where you are in the moment. How you exist and how you're breathing and how you're feeling in the moment. Don't do this every day. But it's important to take stock from time to time. To check in from time to time. First of all, we all know social media is toxic. But its effects on an individual's priorities... I think are even more toxic than the effects on the sense of self... That you uh, inherit from those platforms. Because ultimately, if you engage in social media... In your private time. In your me time, as it were. Then your It's it's the same thing as uh, praying. You're giving the authority over to some other entity. You're telling that social media platform or the people that you're following or the posts that you're checking that they are more important than you. That your attention is owed to them and it's not owed to you. And I'm here to say that you should feel like you are of the greatest value and everything else is secondary that you need to take stock and put time and energy into you before you give a damn about anyone else. So don't care about a post or an adventure or a vacation that other people are taking. Spend time with yourself and find out why you feel sorrow or happiness in any given moment. Find out what makes you care, what, what keeps you going in life. You may realize that, you're meeting yourself for the very first time, or the fact that you're not the person that you were 10 years ago the last time you checked in. Because as every other human uh, animal, we grow and evolve with our life experiences. We change what's important to us. And the only way you're ever gonna really know that is if you're checking in from time to time, if you're spending time with yourself, alone in your own thoughts, in your own skin, feeling that. And I know how it sounds, and it can be a little weird sometimes, but the truth is it's an incredibly healthy activity, and it's only going to benefit everyone around you that you care about because you're going to be a more grounded and present individual by taking stock from time to time. Um, And the bottom line of all of this, and sort of a cap on this segment here, is Satanists are individuals but you can't be an individual if you're never taking the time and going through the work of finding out who you actually are. Divorcing yourself from outside influences and just focusing on you. So if you don't do this, then you're not an individual. And if you're not an individual, there's no way you can be a Satanist. Focus on you. Develop a healthy ego, a realistic sense of who and what you are, and then move out into the world and and do the hard work that it is to manipulate others. It's worth it, and it's really good for you. Um, You're right, Anton, totally. (laughs) Nice. All right, talking... uh any social media usage is pumping input into your mind. Yep, yeah, that's true. Instant repetitive dopamine hit in a feedback loop. Hell yeah. And uh, Clista, thank you for the uh, the news article. I appreciate you. All right, so that's really all I wanted to talk about in that segment. I, I think it's really important that, you know, and I'm not going to harp on it over and over again, but... The fact is, it's easy to forget who you are um, when you're surrounded by other people or when you're sort of drowning in the online world. Um, and we're almost encouraged to. We're encouraged to copy other people, to be editions of others, you know? And it's easy to fall into that mindset if you're being told that that's what you should do. And the truth is, there's nothing more toxic to individuality than following other people. And it means that you're not going to get those constant dopamine hits. And it means that you're not going to be the most popular person that walks into a room or, you know, paparazzi are popping off photos of you, in most cases anyway. But it means that you're going to be happy in your own skin. And that's something that very few human beings feel. And you have only to look in social media to realize that truth. And you have only to look at any plethora of news outlets to understand that that's true. I'm a weird fucking person. I'm full of my own weird quirks and whatever. And I'm by far away from being the best version of myself that I want to be but I'm pretty damn happy with who I am so far. And knowing that I'm working on myself and my flaws and my faults, spending the hard work in not only identifying them, but trying to come up with better ways of expressing myself or of being in this world. It makes me happy doing that, you know? Anyway, think about it. <laughs> Let's do a little infernal informer. All right, this is uh, everyone's probably sick of this topic, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway because I had uh, nothing else to talk about. Every like, I again, I, I start the show by saying I can't open windows because the air is so bad. We're in this massive heat wave shattering portions of uh, the continental United States at any given moment. Like, I, I just feel like we're we're surrounded with the obvious fact that climate change is fundamentally fucking up our world and we're the ones that are doing it to ourselves and so I know you can kind of get tired about hearing about it but we're gonna gonna talk about it again anyway we're gonna do it anyway here we go a critical ocean system may be heading for collapse due to climate change study finds this is from the Washington Post again shared by uh, our wonderful esteemed uh, audience member thank you human caused global warming has led to an almost complete loss of stability in the system that drives the Atlantic Ocean currents, a new study has found, raising the worrying prospect that this critical aquatic conveyor belt could be close to collapse. In recent years, scientists have warned about a weakening of the Atlantic uh, (laughs) Meridional Overturning Circulation, or AMOC, which transports warm salty water from the tropics to the northern Europe and then sends cold water back south along the ocean floor. Researchers who study ancient climate change have also uncovered evidence that the AMOC can turn off abruptly, causing wild temperature swings and other dramatic shifts in global weather systems. They actually made a film about this idea. I believe it's like the day after tomorrow or something like that. But it's like the currents in the ocean regulating climate. Uh, And once that's disrupted... Like, everything just falls apart. The entire ecosystem breaks down across the world. It's interesting, but this is actually proving it out. Um, Scientists haven't... Here's the the caveat. Scientists haven't directly observed the AMOC slowing down, but the new analysis published Thursday in the journal Nature Climate Change draws on more than a century of ocean temperature and uh, salinity data to show significant changes in eight indirect measures of the circulation's strength. And this is always the argument that people have that don't want to admit to human influence on climate change is that, well, there's no real data. And look, they're even saying that they haven't seen it. Right, but science is about data points and indirect references. You don't look at a black hole directly. You have to look at its influence around other star systems in order to see that it's actually there. That's how we find out data is by witnessing the effects around the thing. In this particular case, the thing is going to be the disruption of our oceans, um, AMOC, and we're noticing data points around it. So I don't want people to do this takeaway. This is this childish linear uh, A to B to C worldview of, well, if I see snow in winter, then clearly the global uh, climate is not warming. Okay, well, you're just a fucking child and an idiot you have to realize that it's bigger than a snowball. Well, it's bigger than them not being able to see the direct influence yet. Same argument with science and, and evolution. Because we don't see humans evolving dramatically, well, then evolution must be fake. No, we have a fossil record and we can, you know, do the math. Um, just because we don't witness it firsthand does not mean it is not affecting the world around us. We have to understand that fact. Okay. These indicators suggest that the AMOC is running out of steam, making it more susceptible to disruptions that might knock it out of equilibrium, said study author Nicholas Boers, a researcher at Podsum Institute of Climate Impact Research in Germany. If the circulation shuts down, it could bring extreme cold to Europe and parts of North America, raise sea levels along the U.S. East Coast, and disrupt seasonal monsoons that provide water to much of the world. The MOC is a product of a gigantic ocean-wide balancing act. It starts in the tropics, where high temperatures not only warm up the seawater, but also increase the proportion of salt by boosting evaporation. This warm, salty water flows northeast from the U.S. coastline towards Europe, creating the current we know as the Gulf Stream. But as the current gains latitude, it cools, adding density to waters already laden with salt. By the time it hits Greenland, it's dense enough to sink deep beneath the surface. It pushes other submerged waters south towards Antarctica, where it mixes with other ocean currents as part of a global system known as the thermohaline circulation. I hope I said that right. This circulation is at the heart of Earth's climate system, playing a critical role in redistributing heat and regulating weather patterns around the world. That's right, nature believes in socialism, redistribution of heat. (laughs) That was for those idiots out there. Um, (laughs) As long as the necessary temperature and salinity ingredients exist, AMOC is self-sustaining, Boers explained. The predictable physics that make dense water sink and lighter water up well keep the circulation churning in an endless loop. But, he knew it was coming, climate change has shifted the balance. Higher temperatures make ocean waters warmer and lighter. An influx of fresh water from melting ice sheets and glaciers dilutes North Atlantic's saltiness, reducing its density. If these waters aren't heavy enough to sink, the entire AMOC will shut down. It's happened before. Studies suggest that towards the end of the last ice age, a massive glacial lake burst through a declining North American ice sheet. The flood of fresh water spilled into the Atlantic, halting the AMOC and plunging much of the Northern Hemisphere, especially Europe, into deep cold. Gas bubbles trapped in polar ice indicate that cold spell lasted a thousand years. Analyses, is of plant fossils and ancient artifacts suggests that the climate shift transformed ecosystems and threw human societies into upheaval. In its 2019 Special Report to the Ocean and Cryosphere in a Changing Climate, the UN Intro-Governmental Panel on Climate Change projected that the AMOC would weaken during this century, but total collapse within the next 300 years was only likely under the worst-case warming scenarios. Buckle in, people. The new analysis suggests the critical threshold is most likely much closer than we would have expected, Boer said. The restoring forces, or feedback loops, that keep the AMOC churning are in decline. All the indicators analyzed in the study, including sea surface temperatures and salt concentrations, have become increasingly variable. Increasingly variable. It's as though the AMOC is a patient. Newly arrived in the emergency room, and Boers has provided scientists with an assessment of its vital signs, De Menocal said, All the signs are consistent with the patient having a real mortal problem. Physical oceanographers like him are also trying to confirm the AMOC slowing through direct observations, but the AMOC is so big and complex that it will probably take years for careful monitoring and data collection before a definitive measurement is possible. Yet everyone also realizes the jeopardy of waiting for that proof. After all, there are plenty of other indicators that Earth's climate is in unprecedented territory. This summer, the Pacific Northwest was blasted by a heatwave scientists say was virtually impossible without human-caused warming. China, Germany, Belgium, Uganda, and India have all experienced massive deadly floods. Wildfires are raging from California to Turkey to the frozen forests of Siberia. The world is more than one degree Celsius, 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, warmer than it was before humans started burning fossil fuels and is getting hotter all the time. And the apparent consequences of the AMOC slowing are already being felt. A persistent cold blob in the oceans south of Greenland is thought to result from less warm water reaching that region. The lagging Gulf Stream has caused exceptionally high sea level rise along the U.S. East Coast. Key fisheries have been upended by the rapid temperature swings, and beloved species are struggling to cope with the changes. If the AMOC doesn't completely shut down, the change would be irreversible in human lifetimes. The bistable nature of the phenomenon means it will find new equilibrium in its off-state, turning it back on, would require a shift in the climate far greater than the changes that triggered the shutdown in the first place it is one of these events that should not happen and we should all try so that we could reduce greenhouse gas emissions as quickly as possible Bowers said this is a system we don't want to mess with and we are and my prediction is that we will destroy this planet now when i say that i want to be clear that I think the planet's going to be fine. It's going to readjust. It's going to take a long time, but it's been around for billions of years. So I don't think there's a big issue with the planet. It's whether or not we continue to exist on it. That's my concern. And not so much for all of you and everyone else out there, but for me and my kids. I want to make sure that they can open windows in the morning to get fresh air. And right now, they can't. And it's only going to get worse. Everything is um, uh, accelerating faster than scientists predicted in the 70s. They were complaining about this. And no one's done anything. So you can blame the baby boomers. boomers, You can blame Gen X. You can blame uh, uh, millennials. You can blame Gen Z or anyone else. But the fact is, is that any change that we are making individually are being overrun by corporate Entities and the only way to put caps on them is through regulation, government regulation. And the only way to do that is to pressure your politicians and get money out of politics. So it's a very simple A to B to C: be involved in the political industry or in the political system in your uh, community, in your state, in your country. Vote people in that will get money out so that we have less corporate influence in the government, and then we can finally start to actually correct the problems that these people are causing. But if we just continue letting capitalism be capitalism, and letting corporations run our entire universe, we will end up in those dystopian futures of Blade Runner and Alien. We will, because that's the direction we're headed right now. Weather patterns are getting worse and more unpredictable in our lifetime. You only have to look at nature documentaries from a decade or so ago to see how dramatically different it is right now. And it's only actively getting worse. And still, people say they don't want to be involved in politics. They say that it's too difficult or it doesn't change anything. Meanwhile, We're killing ourselves. What happened to our total environment? We didn't do shit and it burned down. And we're to blame. You, me, and everyone else not watching this stupid podcast are to blame. So we can continue going down this road of killing ourselves until it doesn't fucking matter anymore. Or we can try to make it so that we can actually open our fucking windows and not suffer for having opened them. It's such an insane thing to think about, but that's the reality of the world that we're living in a very micro experience. Just opening your window and not being assailed by pollution so bad that it actually causes asthma if you don't already have it and allergies if you don't already have them. And if you do, it exacerbates them to dangerous proportions. That's our life. That's where we're living right now. And people still don't think it's fucking real. People still argue about the the realities that are in your face. (laughs) It drives me crazy. Absolutely crazy. You can go nowhere on this planet and not suffer the consequences of human interaction fucking up this planet. And in a religion that celebrates man's carnal nature, our tie to the natural world around us, and to have us also destroying our own total environments because we refuse to change our meager behaviors, it's just blindness. It's stupidity and it's painful so maybe that is the true satanic reality that we're facing that we're too stupid as a species and we're going to kill ourselves because of it okay we've earned it if that's the outcome we've earned it let's do a little creature feature All right. Yeah, you're right, Calista. The planet does not need us. We need the planet, so we need to make sure that it is habitable. Might seem like an odd image, but let me get into it. Five lessons I learned from my father. I am, right now, the same age that my father was when he died. And when you reflect back on a father, you can't help but reflect back on lessons learned, directly or indirectly. In my particular case, they were indirect. My earliest memories of my father was him like assaulting my mother, him being taken away by the police. Sorry, I'm trying to... Um, being taken away by the police and, and that's, that's dad. So that's what I have to aspire to as a young man because you always want to be like your dad. So my mom left him which meant that I no longer had a father and a stepdad and I was in a wonderful position because my stepdad was actually a really good fucking human being. He was literally a fucking war hero, a decorated war hero and a devoted parent, Um, but he wasn't my dad. And so I resented him. I didn't listen to him. I didn't pay attention to what he said because he wasn't my dad. Everyone knows that your your blood, that's what's important. Your blood. But what happens when your blood is an abusive alcoholic? What are you supposed to learn from that? And so what I took away is that I didn't have to be like him. I didn't have to carry the weight of his sins I didn't have to excuse them away I could let him suffer his own responsibility for his own actions so the first thing that I learned from my father was that anxiety in a relationship is toxic if you're in a relationship and you or the other person is afraid that you're talking to someone else or you're not being faithful or they just can't trust you in certain situations. It's not a healthy relationship. It's a dangerous relationship. It's toxic and you should not be around it. That's the first thing I learned. And it was a hard lesson too because... I'm a jealous human by nature, and it took me years, and it almost cost me my marriage, my my sense of jealousy. And I still struggle with it, but it is something that I'm working on. Um, And I don't blame it on my father, but I certainly saw and I understood the lesson, and so it's something that I work on. Um, Another lesson I learned from my father, number two, sometimes you shouldn't make it work. You know, we live in this weird world where we say, well, you know, you can always change the person that you're with. Or, you know, if you just stick in long enough, it'll get better. Or, you know, just work with the relationship. Work the relationship. It'll be worth it in the end. Not always. Because sometimes the end is them stabbing you and you dying. Or them beating you until you're a bloody pulp. Sometimes it's not even a physical danger sometimes they just fuck with you so hard that you don't even know who you are anymore that your whole sense of worth of value is gone and that you are now a hollow shell sometimes it's not worth making it work sometimes it's best to walk away that's the second thing i learned from my dad the third thing i learned from my dad Being a man means owning the kind of man that you are. It's not this sense of aspiration. Like, I'm I'm a, I'm a man, so I can do certain things. And that makes it okay, because I'm a man. But when you're alone and you're looking in the mirror, is that the kind of man you want to be? You can't just excuse behavior because you got a dick. And that's what it comes down to especially in our culture and in certainly worse in Arabian cultures across the world and any other machismo culture where men dominate women. I'm not talking about equality. I'm not talking about anything. I'm just saying if you're a man, a lesson I learned was you have to be okay with the kind of man that you are. And my father never was. And he spiraled and he died for it. I'm not going to. I'm going to be okay with who I am. I'm going to work on the kind of man that I want to be. And sometimes it's not going to fit in with with society or other men tell me that I should be. Sometimes it's just going to be what I feel okay with inside of myself. And that has to be okay because it's the only way that I can find a sense of happiness. So that was the third thing I learned. The fourth thing I learned is that Children don't need any father. They need a caring father. I spent my entire youth hating the man that was taking care of me because he wasn't my blood father. And then as soon as I found out and I finally got to talk to my father when I was 18 years old, the first fucking thing he said when I told him that I was a Satanist was that if I... Heard you say that around me, I would have beaten it out of you. I finally discover who I actually am. And I put all of this weight for 18 years of my life into my dad wanting to reconnect with him, blaming my mom, blaming other people. And the first thing he does is tells me that he would kick the shit out of me because I connected with something for once in my life. It doesn't matter if they're blood or not. It could just be a fucking, a mentor. You don't need any father, you need a caring father. And that doesn't even have to be a man. That just has to be someone who's gonna support you in your decisions, in the choices that you make, help develop you into a version of yourself that you're happy with. All right, that was the fourth thing. The fifth thing I learned from my father is that your children are always watching. And as much as you get wrapped up in your own life experience and your own relationship with your father or your life, you always have to remember... That if you have kids, they're watching and they're taking away lessons. And what do you want them to take away? That you'd beat the shit out of them? That you beat the shit out of their mother? That you can't handle disappointment in life? I certainly learned that it's important to be conscious of how you act. And I'm by far from anywhere near being acceptable, let alone perfect. But I try, I try more than my dad ever did. It's weird to think that I'm the same age as he was. And I am more successful in every measurable way. I'm healthier. I'm happier. I have a better relationship, a better relationship with my kids, with my wife, more successful. By every measure, I have exceeded everything that my father ever did. And the truth is, he's still my dad. I still love him. And I can't help it. I love the man that I never knew. I love the man for all the flaws. All the abusiveness. And everything. I love him not because of those things. I love him in spite of those things. Because I remember. Being a little kid. And him taking me to the. One of the few memories I have of him. Focusing on me. And little shit like that. Little moments and memories, they don't excuse everything else. But it gives me enough perspective to know that he was just not evolved enough as himself. That he was controlled by the demons inside of him. Rather than exercising them and gaining control of them and using them to better his life. That he was totally out of control in his life... And to know that even though that's what I came from. I don't have to be that. That I can choose to take responsibility. And I have that example. To hold up against myself and my actions. To know I'm better. I'm better than he ever was. Than he ever will be. And whether or not he would have actually beaten the shit out of me which I think he probably would have. I still know that in the end, at the same age, facing off in front of him, he'd know I was a better man too. And if he ever raised a hand, I'd beat the fuck out of him. Sort of like runner-up thoughts on this. Abusers aren't strong they're weak, they're pathetic, they're afraid. If you're being abused, you owe it to yourself to get out of that cycle. Don't make excuses. Don't put it off. Get out of it. There's too many examples of people dying because they didn't. And the other thing is controlling people out of fear or through fear. That's not satanic. Using lesser magic effectively means that the other person wants to do it because it's going to benefit them as well as you. Not because it's going to cause them pain and suffering. If you're good, there doesn't have to be a loser with lesser magic. That's all I had for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know it was sort of off and on for a a couple weeks, but I'm just back to the normal schedule. And so (laughs) I'm I'm back to normal. Uh, Everything that was going to happen to throw it off is is over now. So I appreciate your time and attention. Of course, if you want to support this show, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list, and like and share the video or comment on it that seems to have some sort of an effect. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out the Satanic Bible, read it, understand it, reread it, and um, check out the website, churchofsatan.com. There's tons of Satanic wit and wisdom there, and it's definitely worth a check if you haven't gone in a while. Go visit it. It's only going to take a moment. And then, uh, finally, uh, (laughs) I've been sipping on some uh, rye here. It's not very good. But I do want to just give a quick hail Satan to you, the audience, to the organization and the administration, to everyone who identifies as a Satanist. Hail yourself, because today is my high holiday. Hail me. See you next week.